Acts chapter 13, verse 30. This might be the shortest scripture that I've ever preached from, but here we go. If you would uh, follow along with me, either in your your Bible or um, maybe up on screen, there we go. God's word says this, but God raised him from the dead. This is the word of God. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here would be pleasing in your sight. I pray that you be with our children staying in the service today, Lord, that you would minister to them even even here, uh, knowing that maybe many of the things that I say won't necessarily be something that computes immediately, but we pray that your Holy Spirit would use it to minister to their young spirits. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can go ahead and be seated. So it's good to be back with you guys. As Brian mentioned, I was gone for two weeks and uh, got back right in the nick of time to be here with you on Easter Sunday, which I wouldn't have wanted to miss for the world. Um, I I didn't tell uh, everybody where I was going before I left, but I think most of you know by now because on Saturday last week, I got about probably the most text messages I had ever gotten saying that many people had seen me and Chris uh, read on TV at the Masters Golf Tournament. And um, that was fun, being, being famous for a day. Uh, I will say this, just very quickly. I've been to the Masters Golf Tournament quite a lot. I used to go every year growing up. That's my hometown. It's been a while since I've been back, but I remembered in the old days, the, the goal for me and my cousin that I used to go with often was to get on TV. Like we were constantly like positioning ourselves where we might get on national TV. And so many times we thought we had pulled it off because an amazing shot would be right next to us. We'd be like, yeah, it's gonna happen. Never did. Never even got close to sniffing it. First time I go with Chris Reed, we were on TV all day Saturday. So of course my takeaway is the camera loves Chris Reed. He's a natural star. So if you want uh, to have your 15 minutes of fame, just hang out with Chris. And uh, although some of the still shots that people sent us, it was me like blocking your face, Chris. So sorry about that. It was payback. The day before, he knocked me over when we saw a hole in one. So So let's jump back here to the text. Uh, I picked a a short one today because Instead of doing what we normally do, which is kind of a deep dive into one passage of scripture, I wanted to speak more generally. I wanted to speak more generally about the resurrection and about some implications of what it means for us as people living in this resurrection age. So that's the reason that my sermon title is Four Nuggets, um, because as I was thinking about it, I was like, this is a little nugget about the resurrection that I want to share with everybody. Uh, But knowing that our kids are in service today, knowing that it's going to be a little bit more wiggly than usual, I think that needs to go down to three nuggets, maybe two and a half nuggets. Uh, The planning phase was like, oh, I can do four easy. But as I got got writing, it was, uh, well, I told Brian in the office in the week, I was like, I think I just wrote like a 50-minute sermon, and that's not going to fly today. (laughs) So so we're going to chop this down to three nuggets. I'll send the fourth one in an email or something later this week, so don't worry. Uh, but let's, let's jump right into it with the, the first one. This is actually, I think, guys, the one that we're going to skip over for today. Uh, you can think about what this, the, the, the gospel is verified, but this is where I want to start. The first nugget for us today is going to be in the resurrection, 
the body is dignified. When Jesus rose from the dead, we've confessed it today. I read the story to the kids. People saw him. People listened to him. People heard him. People touched him. The resurrection was not the spirit of Jesus rising into the clouds like smoke rising up for him to his disembodied soul to live in the presence of God the Father. That wasn't it. Instead, the resurrection of Jesus was his recognizable body, the same one that had been beaten and bloodied and bruised on the cross. That was what God rose from the dead. That is what God dignified and made whole and restored. And when that happens, what it means is that God is telling all of creation that he cares about this. He cares about your body. He cares about his creation, the material world that he's made. In Genesis 1, he made it and he said, behold, it is very good, and he meant it. So much so that he's going to restore and redeem. There's this moment in uh, the deeper in the book of Acts, Acts 17 actually it is, where Paul is in Athens, the birthplace of Greek philosophy, the home of Plato and Aristotle and many great thinkers after them. And Paul is presenting the gospel in this public place called the Areopagus. And it says that all these scholars and thinkers and teachers, they're tracking with them for a long time. They're hearing them talk about Jesus, the death on the cross, the atonement for sin. But then he says something to them that makes them begin to mock him. And what he says is at the conclusion of his speech, he says, this Jesus was raised from the dead. The grave could not hold him. And it was at that point that the text, the very next sentence is, many there began to mock him. They laughed him out of the room. And I think the reason why is because the Greek philosophy of the day was one that said that the, the body, the material world, things that you can touch, physical things, they don't really matter. It's not worth your attention. They're lesser basic things. What is really important is your soul, your spirit, your mind, things that you can't touch, things that aren't physical. That's what is most important in life. And any serious religion or any serious philosophy will only worry about elevating that, the spirit. Who cares about the body? Who cares about physical things? But here comes Paul. And at the conclusion of his gospel message, he says, the triumph of God was proclaimed in this, that Jesus Christ rose again bodily from the dead. That's why they laughed him out of the room, because that seemed ridiculous to them. Here we are 2,000 years later, Easter morning, and I would imagine that for most of the world, it's still ridiculous. And by the way, I'm not just talking about people that don't believe, that are atheists perhaps. I'm talking about it's ridiculous for a lot of people that go to church every Sunday. And here's why. My gut feeling as a pastor, I've been doing this for well over 10 years now, is that for many people in the church pews every Sunday, your thoughts about heaven, your thoughts about afterlife, your thoughts about the hope of the future is influenced more by Greek philosophy than it is the Bible, than it is resurrection hope. 
And we think sometimes in our popular songs and the way that we speak to each other that our hope is that our disembodied souls are going to float on the clouds and worship God forever. That none of this matters. It's all going to be destroyed. Who cares about it? That my body, it's just going to be thrown on the trash heap. Wrong. The resurrection is about God saying he cares about this. He cares about the world. He's going to restore it and redeem it and glorify it in ways that we can't even imagine. One of my favorite writers from seminary put it like this. If you want to have just a pithy uh, bumper sticker statement, he said, God doesn't make junk. He didn't make junk when he made you, when he made this world. And here's the resurrection part. He doesn't junk his stuff. God doesn't make junk and he doesn't junk his stuff. Jesus' resurrection gives us a promise that there's a day coming when he will restore, redeem, and make whole this world. That's our Christian hope. And that's why in the resurrection, we can say that the body is dignified. Let's hit the next nugget though before I get uh, too long-winded there. Another nugget for us. In the resurrection, we're told that heartache is not the final word. Most of Jesus' apostles, disciples would have been present at that moment on Good Friday where he hung on a cross, beaten and bloodied and humiliated and breathed his last. They would have seen that. They would have seen his lifeless body be put into a tomb and the stone rolled over the entrance. That very easily could have been the last encounter or memory they had of their Jesus, who they loved. But it wasn't. Three days later, Jesus appeared to them, but not in the way they had seen him on the cross. They saw that same body that had been so beaten and bruised on the cross, but now it was glorified. It was redeemed. It was restored, just as we were just talking about. It was the recognizable Jesus, but it wasn't the memory they had from Friday. It was now whole and good. I think the reason I'm pointing that out is because I want you guys to realize that the resurrection tells us that the suffering, the heartache, the sorrow, the pain that we experience when we go through affliction in life or when we see a loved one going through affliction, we think that that heartache is, is the last word on the matter. But it's not. The last chapter, the final word, will be when all things are restored and made right, just as Jesus' body and life was on Easter morning. You know, when I went home a couple of weeks ago, believe it or not, it wasn't just to go to the golf tournament. Uh, I had other business there that was more precious to me. I got to be home on my dad's birthday, which was on April 1st. And as most of you guys know, my dad has been sick now for uh, many years. He has Alzheimer's. And even though we had, in many ways, one of the best visits that I've had with him in a long time, just the two-week stretch where a lot of the visits I had were really good, the reality still is that it absolutely rips my heart out to see my dad so helpless And to see a man that was so capable and me and my sister depended on, my mom too, for everything to be just robbed of dignity. 
the only way I know how to put it. And there was this moment, actually, when me and Chris were at the, the golf tournament where I, I held up the gallery rope for this older man to, to crawl under. And, and when he got to his seat under the rope, he turned at me and, and he smiled and he says, not bad for a 73-year-old, huh? And it just struck me, hit me between the eyes because my dad was 73 on his birthday this year. And I just thought, I was like, this is not fair. My dad should be here. It's so cruel and unfair that this was taken from him at a relatively young age. But it's in those moments that I have to fight to remember that Alzheimer's is not the final word for my dad. It's not. There is a day coming because of the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrate this morning. There is a day coming in the future where I will see my dad again and that empty gaze he has now is going to be replaced with, with, with eyes full of life and recognition. And he's going to make all those cheesy dad jokes that he did for most of my life. And instead of rolling my eyes, I'm going to laugh. And it's going to feel like we are waking up from a bad dream. But that's his future. That's my future as his son that hurts when I see him. And it's because of the hope that we have in Jesus' resurrection. I know I am far from the only one. I know in our small congregation, there are those of you that are struggling with your own chronic health problems, with cancer. You have loved ones fighting against cancer. We have people in our congregation, beloved sisters that have dear friends and family that are in Ukraine right now, holding on for dear life. The suffering and pain that we feel in that is not the final word. And one of my favorite scriptures of all time, Psalm 126, it begins very simply. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. And I know most immediately that Psalm is talking about the return from exile, but I think we can use it to think about all the pain and affliction and heartache in this world when God finally made it right. We were like those who dreamed, couldn't believe it. I've got one more nugget, the last one. The final nugget is this, in the resurrection, we have a call to be ready. I mentioned to you a second ago about Paul's uh, gospel preaching in Athens. I'm going to read to you the exact thing that he said that made everybody laugh at him. And it's not up on the screen, so you'll just have to listen or follow along in your own Bible. This is Acts 17, verse 31. It says, but now God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. The assurance that God gives to the world that judgment day is coming is by raising Jesus from the dead. That's what this verse is saying. And so for Paul, the resurrection was a guarantee of judgment day. Therefore, it's also a call for all of us to be ready for that great final day. There is a day coming where every single one of us will stand before the Lord Jesus risen in his glory. And we will give account of our lives. 
for what we've done or for what we failed to do. And if we're being honest, there is a real sense in which that should terrify us. Because every single one of us knows deeply the ways in which we have failed. The ways in which our pride and our selfishness have wounded those that we've loved. Or the ways in which our apathy have caused us to turn a blind eye to those in need. There's not a single one of us who will be able to stand in confidence on our own strength before the righteous Lord Jesus and say, I'm in good shape. Unless, unless that righteous judge is also your savior. That's the only way we'll be able to stand in confidence. If the risen Lord Jesus is one whom you have heard his call to you, his invitation to repent, to turn from your sin and selfishness, and to believe in him as the son of God and the only savior of sinners, if you've fallen on your knees to cling to him in faith, saying, Jesus, all I have is you, my only hope of salvation is you, then that righteous judge on the final day will also be your savior. And when he calls you to give account of your life, you'll be able to say, Jesus, all I have is you. And he'll say, that is more than enough. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. When you were on your way in, hopefully you got a little communion packet. And if you didn't, there's extras that are on that back table that you can run and grab right now. But I'm thankful that communion is following on Easter Sunday, even though it feels thematically a little bit off because this was, you know, during a sorrowful time when Jesus is saying goodbye, it's before the resurrection. However, when we eat and drink the communion meal, we're eating and drinking a Jesus that is presently feeding us, serving us, nourishing us, because he's alive. And I'm really glad that we're doing it today because it gives me occasion to invite those of you who don't know him yet, who have not called him Lord and Savior, to do so today and to do so by taking this meal for the first time. You know, you, you've heard Brian and I say it often. We do it every time we serve. We say this meal is for those who are believers in Jesus, who have been baptized in his name, who are following him, not for those who don't believe in him. And the reason why we say that is not to, is not to exclude you, not to be mean if you're not a believer in Jesus. We do it because we care about you. Because the New Testament tells us that if we eat and drink this meal in an unworthy manner, in other words, not believing in Jesus, we eat and drink judgment upon ourselves. We don't want that for you. So that's why we say only take this meal if you're a believer in Jesus. But what else it does is it gives us an occasion when we have communion to say, maybe today's the day. What are you waiting for? Easter Sunday, 2022, hearing about the benefits of the resurrection and how when we stand before the righteous Lord Jesus, we can say, you're my savior. If you're ready for that today, then let taking this meal be your first act of following Jesus. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. 
I was much more uh, robust than this. And he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. As often as you eat it, do so in remembrance of me. So now, brothers and sisters, let's take. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, which again was probably a bigger cup than this. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed his blood to seal the new covenant that gives us hope in life. And he said, as often as you drink this, do and so in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, let's drink together now. The Bible tells us later on that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Jesus is coming back, guys. The glorious Lord Jesus that rose again on the third day. We will see him again in all of his glory. Come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Let me pray for us, and then I'll invite the music team back up. Lord God, thank you so much for the celebration of Easter. Thank you for giving us such a beautiful, sunny day. And not making it a compromise where we said it's either a, a beautiful sunny day on Easter or rainy weather. You gave us both <laughs> yesterday and now today with the sun out. Let the sun be a constant reminder to us that you, you are our loving father. That you rose Jesus from the grave. That you have exalted him to your right hand. That he reigns forevermore. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. A couple of quick things.